Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hello and welcome to this latest edition of the Manchester is Red podcast. I'm Alex Porter, I'm the Deputy Manchester United Editor. I'm here with uh, Samuel Luckhurst, who's the Manchester United Editor. Hello. Good to have you with us. Good to be back, it's been a while. It has indeed. <laughs> and uh, Manchester United writer Kieran Kelly. How are you? Yeah, been a while, not yeah. seen you for a while. <laughs> a couple of weeks, hiding away. Aye. Back. <laughs> yeah, back, back in business. Uh, much like Manchester United were on Saturday afternoon, uh, one against Huddersfield felt like they had to win, didn't it? They did. It, it was it was pretty turgid to watch, particularly uh, the first half. There wasn't. It, it, the only good thing I'd say about that first half was that it did have a bit of a Lancashire Yorkshire edge to it. I think certainly with a couple of tackles that were going in, and particularly the Congolo challenge on McTominay, which was pretty reckless and dangerous, and I think still a bit inexplicable why the referee didn't give a penalty for that. Uh, but a little bit like the Tottenham game, um, Sanchez kind of enhanced the attack. He was the only one who kind of certainly, for the most part, I thought performed to an acceptable level. I think Mata coming back in, it's it's amazing how you go back nearly three years ago to how poor Di Maria was playing on the right wing, and Van Gaal brings Mata into play. Then you think he's a stopgap, and here he is three years later, and he's still playing in that position. But I think that's testament to what a good player he is and that United, particularly under Mourinho, they seem to play their best football with him in the side. And he has kind of emerged as this great survivor. I think it was an easy decision to trigger his contract as well. On top of that, I think that he always gives you options, particularly in games against the so-called fodder. They're games that he can dictate quite effortlessly. So I thought he he gave a good account for himself. But at the moment, it's, it's pretty much dominated by Sanchez and... Uh, there's very little more to say about him other than that I think United just got the, the best, the better of the two Arsenal playmakers that, that were available and Kieran did pieces on Ertzil and it was the, the, the detail you wrote in your piece last week about how his camp were actually yeah. asking about him, asking has Mourinho given any signals yes. at all um, I think it's pretty clear that United once Sanchez became attainable they, they just went with him rather than Ertzil yeah, I mean, it kind of means that they don't have that summer headache now of chasing one of those pop uh, Griezmann kind of players where it plays out on Instagram and you have those unwanted sagas. And, um, Imagine like, we could have the dogs having a signed Wolfie G. So kind of already they're, they're getting their house in order in that respect that they, they know what they want in the summer already with the Michael Carrick's air and it's great to know that so early on. You might think, well... You know, if an amazing player comes along, uh, like Sanchez was, you know, you take that opportunity again. Um, if it is a forward, but I think um, it's a real advantage now, and it's an advantage for the rest of the season because um, they're obviously still in with the shout with the FA Cup, the Champions League is who knows what could happen in that, and um, to finish second is obvious progress from the last season where you had a draw every second week. So um, I think what you can see with the what he does with the team um, and Valencia in the mix almost saying that you know he's already changed how they attack and 
every fan could see that I'd imagine just how um, you know there's these little triangles now where Lingard will spin off off him and Matt will come in and um, they didn't go from memory they didn't go long for Lukaku many times if at all and that was such a, a big thing in the winter they would just lump it lump it lump it whereas Sanchez I think he's someone you give him the ball everyone gets really excited in the crowd um, he's a player United fans will on and his teammates have already struck and understand with him which is so encouraging after is it two weeks even so um you just wonder what he can do in you know a month three months six months nine months and, and already it looks like they've got someone who it's just made such an instant impact because you often find these premier league signings um particularly strikers if they've come from a good team where they've done well and then they the, the kind of oh, getting the monkey off their back he's done that and his first three games with the assists, the goals, man match twice, I think, and even in the Tottenham game, he's the one player who thought, well, he's he's got some credit from that. So the observation really about not going direct was something that Mourinho brought up as well on the Saturday, which I thought was interesting, as if they they didn't have a player previously um, who could allow them to play that way, which I don't necessarily agree with because I think you know, Pogba is a yeah good enough player who can take on that mantle. But he's clearly been after an attacking player specifically who is going to link up the play. And watching Sanchez think at the end of the game, his, his shorts were a different <laughs> colour because yeah. of the amount of times he got kicked and going to the ground, what have you. Like as, as you did, Alex, that the piece on him, just how the, the treatment that he's he's receiving suggests that he is worthy. I, I think we're always a little bit hesitant to go overboard because Di Marini's first few matches. Mm looks an awesome signing even Memphis did as well to a far lesser extent but as as Mourinho said Sanchez has played in the Premier League so that's why he's got an advantage over those predecessors it just felt like the three games that we've seen Sanchez in have all been really different and I think it shows his mentality you know debut at Yeovil a lot of star players were like what on earth is this and he he did get kicked at Yeovil as well and he's gone to Tottenham where United were really they were really poor for large periods and it was Sanchez who was kind of geeing them up and then Huddersfield was a different challenge and he's probably been United's best player in all three of those matches Yeah, I'd uh, I'd go along with that I don't think, I mean, at Tottenham I'd say he's probably the only one who p- performed to a remotely acceptable level yeah, I, I think, you know, De Gea made a couple of saves but I think in the rating the lacerating ratings that night he was the only one who got a six and at the weekend again it was it was, it was pretty turgid stuff and there wasn't much to write home about but uh, but he's, he's what I like about him is that I know it's it's a cliche like the Chilean pit ball aspect but a lot of Chilean players do have that um, that streak in them we've seen it with someone like Vidal who United fans were desperate to sign years ago and I remember when I was younger how formidable player Zamorano was uh, into Milan so you know, they, that's how you associate them and it's good that Sanchez does have that streak even though he's a very he's a very silky player as well I suppose the last thing on Huddersfield what, what I was thinking for most of the first half was this game was made for Paul Pogba and there he was yeah. on the bench mm. yeah um, it's, it's horrible in a way to kind of discredit Scott McTominay because he's, he's clearly quite courageous and he has had a very you know, he's, he's had the opening there and he's he's not embarrassed himself. But I don't think Mourinho helped himself at all. There. I mean, Sanchez really bailed him out in that you, you play two holding midfielders at home uh, to against a club like Huddersfield who are going there, trying to get a draw. You, you need a lot more variety than that. And I think with McTominay, he's at that stage now where he doesn't, 
doesn't want to take risks, so his passing is always going to be in the late 80s or the early 90s and percentages, but you've got to have a bit more about you. And I know he, he obviously he took the hit from Congolo and he, he put his foot in and everything, but you need to do more than that. I thought Matic did okay, but again, you should be doing okay against a team like Huddersfield, and they, they did actually improve when Pogba came on. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, I think it's just a reminder where you've seen Pogba, he's, like, he's had a good season. Um, but in my opinion there aren't really any many if any untouchables in that team at the moment you're kind of thinking well Pogba was going to be number one on most people's list and it's just a reminder that you know if you want to if you have a bad game or if you make a point of having an animated discussion on the touchline with the cameras in full view um, you know you can be benched as well because everyone knows he's the talisman everyone knows he's probably going to be the captain uh, going forward once Carrick uh, retires but um, it's, it's just keeping keeping the squad in check and you know it was ridiculous the justification for Lou McTominay and you know he recovers the ball quicker or you know and I, okay, it's hard to spell. yeah I think I think it was good to give him a shout and you know second league start of the season I thought he he was a little bit nervous to start with but that I that, thought yeah. like being replacing Papa didn't really help no, him he was the first touch he had didn't he stop his foot and I thought yeah. oh god if, if anything he should have possibly replaced uh, Matic yeah, brought Matic out and put something in but it, that was the weird thing as you say it was clear that he made an example of Pogba because Matic has been out of yeah. form for two months mm. and you would have logically taken him out yet yeah, he, he still starts every league game uh, so I don't as, as everyone's, I think everyone's in agreement on that I think with with United fans they do tend to cut academy graduates an awful lot of slack we saw mm. it with someone like Welbeck who he had people who w- would just staunchly defend him there are others who just thought actually he's, he's pr- probably not good enough he's just a decent squad player and with McTominay you can't be lulled into a full sense of security there the, the argument remains that United needs not just one midfielder some, but arguably two mm. particularly if Fellaini goes as well yeah I'd go along with that I think um, I'm all for cutting academy players I think we all want to see academy players do well don't we but as you say there has to be a degree of realism yeah. Um, about kind of what is and McTominay is no Paul Pogba I think no, I, I mean, his torch defender wouldn't, wouldn't argue with that he's, he's been in the right place at the right time look at someone like Sean Goss who I, I know reserve football is not a reliable barometer of a player's ability but Goss did look like a pretty decent player at that level um, it, I mean it's, it's quite a peculiar trend that you look at certain players like Gibson Cleverley McTominay who didn't really thrive at that level yet they were elevated to the seniors mm. um, and they've had some success with it like Gibson and Cleverly got title winners medals and you know from McTominay's perspective he'll hope he, he follows a similar path there but equally you could easily see him going on loan next season mm. OK uh, elephant in the room then the atmosphere against Huddersfield um, Mourinho came out and uh, said it was uh, not very enthusiastic quiet what do you make I suppose the atmosphere is separate for me to whether Mourinho should maybe be commenting on it whether you, whether you think he should go there yeah it's it's weird because he thought that had been parked after a few months ago you know when he had that, that month where it's just he's raging against everyone um, in any of the home games I've been there I've always heard the away fans say is this a library and uh, for me it was nothing unusual on Saturday but I also think it was a delicate occasion where a comment like that wasn't really helpful you know if he had gone to the service before the game I know he's going to go to the one on, on Tuesday but if he had seen you know how 
many fans turned up for that in the rain, how many sung, how many uh, said prayers and stuff. I think that was that was an atmosphere in itself and the banner they unfurled, the actual banner we should be talking about, the start <laughs> of the game. Um, you know, I, I thought it was a very nice touch and I think it's just it's delicate. I'm not saying that was the reason why it was it was quiet, but I think you have to factor in that a bit and if the I think as the team grew into the game and, and played more exciting stuff and the goals helped, I think it's when it's bogged down in midfield, you know, the, the, naturally for supporters at that level they're they're harder to to get up and, and sing. But for me it's nothing new, uh, with, with United. I think, you know, every few months you have these kind of um, pieces dropping in where there's gonna be fans meetings and they're trying to address it and do they bring rail seat and do they bring in a sinning section again and I, I think it just goes deeper than you know United and Portsmouth you know it, it's something it, it is a moot comparison yeah. that Portsmouth <laughs> Fratton Park's got I think it's got a capacity of 20,000 and when they were in the Premier League they got a little bit like Palace do have a, in, in recent years a lot of acclaim for the for the noise they generated and the, the simple fact of the matter is that smaller stadiums make more deafening dins and I think with the makeup of the supporters at Old Trafford these days United the way they've kind of reaped what they've sown because they've attracted the type of fan that treats I mean I hate the nickname the theatre of dreams but they do treat it like a theatre they think they just sit down I mean they sell Prosecco in the concourse now which I think uh, <laughs> I'm yet to, says yet, yet to see anyone admitting to buying yeah, any yeah I'd, I'd like to know what the um uh, the, the sellings out, what the sales are on, on Prosecco at Old Trafford but uh, I mean uh, on the one hand it was a sensitive day on the other hand when a, a banner has been unfurled welcoming a, a player who's not played for the club yet at the stadium and, and his dogs I mean that that the fact that Arsenal fans did that and wanted that I think just says it all that's just you, you don't go to the depths of Arsenal fans because they are a very different and they are frankly a very weird kettle of fish and unfortunately with a lot of fan bases now it's not just United I think at Anfield last season when Mourinho took his seat you've got Liverpool fans taking pictures of him on his phone um, it happens everywhere I think there's just an awful lot of apathy in English football in terms of atmospheres it was great going to when we were at Yeovil just you know, being able to stand on the terrace there um, because it's such a such a rare sight but things things need to change and Old Trafford does need more than just a lick of paint it's it's becoming quite a dated stadium unfortunately there's a lot that they can do to enhance it and you just look at the other big six clubs the facilities at the Emirates how souped up the Etihad is now Liverpool have got a really impressive new um, south stand Tottenham have got a new stadium expansions plan Chelsea United have, have stood still but they need to catch up again now what I thought was interesting was um, before I started working here I covered Huddersfield um, as some people may know um, and I started working there in the 2015 to 2016 season so David Wagner's first season and they were in relegation trouble they weren't filling the stadium then and yeah. the, away, the away support was not the loudest either um, and so they've made huge strides yeah. in that time and that's because the club have actually got involved it helps that they've made tickets yeah. a lot cheaper so you can get more people into the ground that, aren't, that may once been priced out and would have been priced out at Old Trafford mm. They've also got a really good relationship with the fan groups there and they've worked really hard to make sure the people who are in those fans groups are all together in the stadium and that yeah, it makes a huge yeah. difference when you've got a club who is willing to engage in a dialogue in a sensible manner rather than just kind of paying lip service to it, which I think 
unfortunately sometimes it, it does feel that way well that's that's just a great example of, of what can be achieved through that and we, we went Kieran and I were at Huddersfield earlier this season and it's certainly possibly the best away atmosphere in the rain yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it, it helped that they were beating United so it was like one of their biggest results in years but it, it, it shouldn't take too much effort to just assemble the, the right type of supporters together and mm. say to like the, the loudest blocks in Old Trafford are the singing section mm. and the second tier of the Stratford end but they're so far apart yeah, so that you're never going to generate an atmosphere between the two of them and obviously the um, Old Trafford with the disabled section being expanded which it needed to be expanded to for all sorts of reasons um, you know that shows that they're willing to actually make the right amendments to the stadium but as I said earlier if if you're going to attract a certain type of supporter you can't really complain I think with Mourinho as well there's there's an element there that he needs to be educated a little bit I remember for that Leicester game I think the Leicester game in August was the first one where afterwards he commented about the atmosphere and towards the end of the game he was turning to the south and asking for more noise which is like asking theatre goes in London to do a Mexican wave it's just it's it's not going to happen so th- there's a lot to be done but I, I fear that this time next year we'll probably be having the, the same conversation yeah we, we probably will unfortunately yeah. um, Marcos Rajo um, actually did go over at the end of the game and, and sort of went over to the singing section was doing a lot of like hands behind ears and stuff which was which was nice to see oh, yes. appreciated yeah. the fact they were making some noise so yeah, I just thought yeah. I'd throw that out there and, and well that's it's a nice bit of colour and coming from Argentina where stadiums are renowned for making an awful lot of noise as well that that's somewhat reassuring it is the players know yeah, 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 yeah absolutely um, alright then at the end of the game Jason Mourinho obviously made some comments about the uh, summer transfer window uh, Samuel you were in that press conference perhaps you can uh, just explain exactly what he said he said I mean this is the part where we kind of like need the audio edited in um, to this bit but what he effectively said was that he doesn't want any attacking options he said that now and he didn't even include Ibrahimovic in this he said they have four number nine options which are obviously Lukaku Sanchez Marshall and uh, and Rashford so from two weeks ago I think it was where they lacked competition in attack now they've got their teaming with options apparently which I think is very very premature to say the least because if Ibrahimovic does go in the summer he might even go before that there's an argument there that they need a second striker unless Rashford has designated that role, which would be logical, but you suspect Mourinho has some reservations, justifiable reservations about his finishing. But the other issue, um, the, the patent problem is on the right wing, which, I mean, thinking about it today, I don't think United have had a, a, a consistent right winger since Ferguson's penultimate season when Valencia was player of the year. That's frightening though, isn't it? Yeah, you know, the, 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 the moment Antonio Valencia got the number seven shirt, that's where it all started to go wrong it seems and they've, they've tried it they've tried it with Di Maria and he was hauled off at half time against Sunderland Max has played there quite commendably um, they tried to you know they looked at signing Pedro and Mane Mkhitaryan came in but it was clear that he played better elsewhere that, that is an issue that needs to be resolved but all it's all I take from it is if, if he is being true to his word there is that there's a chance they might sign a right wing back because Valencia's first three at the start of next season, there's no way he can do this two roll stint, if you like, where he is bombing up and down and he is providing the natural width. And I get 
where, where Mourinho is coming from if he is doing that because fullbacks, modern fullbacks are kind of like they're just like wingers now. But for one, there's not one that really springs to mind apart from a guy like Kimmich, who let's face it is going to be at Bayern Munich in ten years' time probably, and. I think to get a really good one, it's 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 so so difficult. I mean, the, the scouts are really going to have to earn their um, earn their money with that one because the other one you think of is maybe Carl Walker, but obviously that's not going to happen. And the more you think about it, the more maybe United should have gone for him last season. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, Mourinho sort of tried to sort of temper uh, expectations a bit as well, hasn't he? That's sort of saying, well, there won't be that many signings. But I don't know about you, Kieran. I, when you start counting up where you think the United want to target, you get to a lot more than two or three. Yeah, and you have to remember that City are going to outspend them again. So City are, in theory, only going to get better. And you'd argue it's only going to be them that will stop them going on and building on uh, next season. So, um, yeah, you're thinking probably in some ways they would still need a number 10. You know, a young fullback definitely need at least one centre mid. And, um, yeah, you're probably looking at three or four. And... The reality is, having gotten Sanchez and gotten a good deal for him in terms of you know getting a swap deal, no money involved in terms of a transfer fee, you've still got to factor in his wages and um, in terms of who's going to leave as well. You know, if you get Ibrahimovic off the wage bill, does that help? Um, yeah, it's 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 just going to be tough because you got the new Premier League transfer deadline too, and you've also got the World Cup. So for them to avoid what happened last summer, where you know, going on tour, uh, Lindelof was the only player on the play. Uh, that's going to be so hard because, you know, Matic wasn't signed till the end of July last year. Uh, Lukaku arrived, I think they were a few days into pre-season. So it could, as much as they're being organised and knowing what they want, um, it's going to be tough. It's certainly, the pre-season thing, I think, is interesting because... If you look at Pogba's first season, didn't really have a pre-season. We got off to a flying start and had a bit of a dip, which you'd think, well, they didn't really have a pre-season. Matic had a very disrupted pre-season, training on his own at Chelsea. Um, so next and next season, obviously, what with the World Cup, you can have new signs coming in that potentially won't have kicked exactly. the ball in yeah. the season. Yeah, so, yeah. I suppose that's one good thing for Sanchez. and always hit the ground running, much like Matic did, actually. Um, but he's only going to benefit from having a bit of time off after the end of the season and playing so many Copper Americas in recent mm. years and then having time to, to hit a full pre-season because we've seen with Pogba um, that's definitely been a factor in how he started the season that he had a break that wasn't you know played out on social media and he could just <laughs> <laughs> he could just you know train and um, you know but that's so important because it would be a, a really interesting squad because you're going to have um, guys like Pereira and Fosu Mensa coming back they're sure to feature on the pre-season um, anyone who exits the World Cup in the early stages are going to be going as well so it'll be an interesting mix compared to last summer when obviously they had a full complement of players and um, I think the fact that they probably are going to go back to UCLA is, is another big bonus that you don't have one of these crazy tours where um, you know, marketing is perhaps put ahead of actual training and um, yeah, it just it just already you feel there's a bit of momentum and kind of a feeling that it's not going to be third season blow up classic Mourinho style. That might be too early a call. Oh, but <laughs> <laughs> in terms of you know the the ingredients are there. They're they're you know it's a team that you think is going to grow a bit more because it's a young team and um, again someone like Sanchez or 
to refresh and things up and you would hope if the the window goes well in the summer that you know it'd be a much better tie race there's going to be a few youngsters on that tour you'd have thought um having watched the reserves quite a lot this season there's, there's a few that well need pastures new next season whether permanently or on loan depending on who you're talking about there'll be a few will actually go with the first team and you, at the moment Tahith Chong's one the one that's making the most comprehensive case for that yeah I've I liked the look of him when I saw him in the youth team last season and um, I mean it was, it was a bit weird that he didn't start that youth cup game against Southampton mm. when he came on and scored a cracker but they still went out um, I think what's particularly encouraging with him is that he's had he's had an ACL he's had a cruciate ligament injury uh, I think he was out for 10 months he's come back he seems to have filled out a little bit more because he's quite tall anyway and I think filling out it, sometimes the importance is overstated but at the same time you can't understate it either and just the way he carries the ball um, his speed across the ground he, I mean talking about the right wing earlier I think he's one who has to be considered if he carries on um, in this vein because he is a modern winger in the, you know, he plays on the opposite side so it's being a left footer on the right he can play through the middle as well. Um, it's, it's, I think he's only played two under twenty three games already, and he's already getting attention from the hatchet men at that level. He's being targeted. Um, I mean, that's that, watching the Tottenham game last week. It was the first time I think an under twenty three game has actually been anywhere remotely near exciting this season. Watching night, and that was chiefly down to him. And I know there's an awful lot of attention on Gomez, but since Chong came in, there's been some simmering excitement there and it's starting to bubble quite nicely um, in recent weeks and he's going to be in the under-23s from now on I'd imagine so it would be nice to see him on on the tour and, and guys like Gomez what you have to also factor with the tour is that there are guys who you know they've got their plane ticket booked so to speak but they may be elsewhere like David Blind I think everybody expects him to leave United in the summer Darmian I don't think anybody wants him in United <laughs> anymore but Shifting him may be, um, maybe a bit more... Surprising trick, amount of uh, interest in Italy, yeah. it seems, though. Yeah, it's like the one country where he, he hasn't, his stock hasn't suffered, and which is it's a little bit peculiar, considering they didn't qualify for the World Cup. You think that'd be the one place they wouldn't want him. but um, So that obviously provides openings, and obviously Carrick and Fellaini may not be there, Ibrahimovic, just to name a few more. And at reserve level, as you said, there are players there who, as you say, do need to move on for their own good. It's it's encouraging to see players like Mitchell, who I think he's had two man the match displays already with Hearts doing doing well. But the reality is his his future lies elsewhere um, because if United do sign a left back in the summer, which is possible, that just that's kind of like him done for there. Even though he can play elsewhere, and he's you know it still wouldn't surprise me if he does forge a career as a very skillful forward rather than as a left back. Yeah, and that's supposed the other thing, isn't it? There's, you know, I've got players coming back from loan, um, and Fossi Mensa, yeah. Andreas Pereira, and, and Tuanzebi being the obvious three that you think might actually yeah. uh, have a chance next season, and hopefully they'll get a chance on the tour as well to kind of prove to Mourinho that their year or Axel's case six months, that's done it, and their their future does light at Old Trafford. Yeah, it depends with Fossi Mensa and Pereira where where he actually sees them. I mean, he, with Fossi Mensa, he's played primarily at right back. Everyone knows that he prefers to play in midfield. Pereira. I think it's a bit trickier because he did very well with Hitafe as a left winger. This season he's been playing on the right wing. Mourinho had him as a as a deep line midfielder, so uh, that's a trickier one. And also, you, you can if you look at 
how Tomlin has come in and I think he's the one who actually replaced Pereira in the squad he's made more starts in less than a year than Pereira has for United in three and a half years or something like that it's scary to think that it's you know, in six months time it would have been four years since Pereira made his United debut I mean, where, where that time has gone is, is one uh, aspect of it but the other is he's just not taking his chance there and he has been a bit too impatient and unfortunately for him he's also got an injury as well now yeah well, on that uh, positive note, uh, <laughs> uh, thanks very much for joining me. Um, you can download this podcast, iTunes, Audio Boom, and wherever you download your podcast. Um, please rate, review, and tell your friends. And we'll uh, see you next time. <laughs>